This is the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy. Independent news commentary with a California perspective. Featuring newsmakers, thought leaders, and authors. Season 9, Episode 6. San Francisco's 49-mile drive, or the 49-mile scenic route. Heather Knight of the San Francisco Chronicle does a remake. The classic blue and white signs featuring a seagull guide drivers along a 49-mile route through some of the city's classic neighborhoods and sites. Created in 1939 to showcase San Francisco for the World's Fair, the route proudly highlighted our two new bridges, City Hall, Ocean Views, Museums, Alcatraz, among other sites, terminating at the Treasure Island Fairgrounds. Of course, the emphasis was on driving. America's love affair with the automobile was underway, and the classic family Sunday drive was becoming a treasured and leisurely pastime to take in the local sites. The blue and white metallic signs affixed to lamppost numbered 250 by the 1960s. Featuring a beady-eyed seagull, the sign was designed by local artist Rex May in 1954, and he won $100 for his artistic efforts. While all of the featured beauty spots remain, the era of leisurely drives through the streets of San Francisco is long past. One-way streets, no car lanes, penal rate parking tickets, and the like make driving in the city a frustrating and nerve-wracking experience. And while we genuflect with tourist reverence for out-of-town guests before the Golden Gate, the Legion of Honor, and the de Young Museum, residents want a more up-to-date and accessible scenic route. Enter Heather Knight and her colleague Peter Hartlob, who have created an updated and more user-friendly route. The new 49-mile scenic route encompasses 37 local landmarks, including old classics like City Hall, Mission Dolores, and the Golden Gate. But they've also expanded the list of destinations. All 37 sites are easily accessed on foot, bicycle, or muni, and the new destinations include Red's Java House, the Castro Theater, the Yoda Statue, and a couple of dive bars, among others. And before they did the 49-mile scenic route, they had also tackled Muni with a series of articles entitled Total Muni. Heather has also come up with a new local holiday called Tourist Trap Day on September 26th. It celebrates all the touristy things that locals never do, like go to Alcatraz visit Pier 39, or take in the wax statues at Madame Tussauds. And of course, our hospitality industry, the restaurants, hotels, and tourist destinations, need all the help they can get as we come out of COVID. And joining us today is our guest, Heather Knight. Hello, Heather. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Heather, before we launch into the scenic route, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your biography, and your background? 
Sure. Um, I'm a native of Northern California. I grew up in Davis near Sacramento and went to Stanford University and then got a two-year internship at the Chronicle pretty much right after graduation. That was in the um, first dot-com boom when there was a lot of money floating around from advertisers like the old pets.com and web web van and the Chronicle had a lot of money and hired some interns just out of college. And I've been there ever since, since 1999. I've covered the school district, city hall, and I've been writing a column on San Francisco for the past four years. Yes, thank you. My wife and I are avid readers and we never miss we never miss your column when we're in San Francisco. So kudos to you. Are, are you, are you, do you have ambitions to take over from folks like Herb Kane and, you know, some of the, the legends of San Francisco journalism? Um, I admire what he did and would never want to have to do this every day. I don't know how he did it, but he did have two assistants, so that must have helped. I'm doing this all by myself. <laughs> oh, well, congratulations. That's most impressive. So let's come, let's move on to the the business at hand. So when did you come up with the the idea for a revamped 49-mile scenic route? Uh, th- that was a couple of years ago, um, 2019. Now with the pandemic interrupting things, it feels like about a million years ago. But my colleague, Peter Hartlob, and I have done a lot of fun adventures over the past few years. And this was an idea. We'd seen these seagull signs all over the city for years and never really knew much about the drive. It seemed like kind of an old-fashioned relic that not a lot of people did anymore. So we had the idea to kind of examine closely what the drive actually was and its history and where it went and then figure out if we could make a better version um, that's more in tuned with people in our modern day who would rather be walking and hiking and biking and being outside rather than in their car the whole time. So once we did decide to look into this, we actually did a kind of crazy adventure in September 2019, where we decided the best way to see the old route and get ideas for how to improve it would be to do all 49 miles in one day without a car. So that was really challenging to go 49 miles with no car. So we walked a lot. We biked, we took cable cars, muni buses, and when we went down the great highway portion along Ocean Beach, I attempted to roller skate. (laughs) That did not last longer than about 30 seconds, but Peter Hartlob roller skated a lot of the great highway. He's much better than me at that. We, our most fun little segment of that day was we were getting short on time because this was taking a lot longer than we thought it would, and we were wondering if we could even accomplish this strange feat and then some saviors came to our rescue and there's a group of women who have a Vespa club they they're a, a scooter club and they said well we can pick you up in Golden Gate Park and put you on the back of our scooters and get you along several miles that way so we said yes please and they took us up to the top of Twin Peaks and it was you know Twin Peaks can either be beautiful or stacked in with fog yes. and this day it was the latter so we could uh, not see anything it felt like we were in the arctic circle it was wet and cold and we got off the scooters there and walked down back into the real world <laughs> <laughs> but we did accomplish it that day of doing the whole old route and we realized that what we wanted to change and what we wanted to keep very impressive so the 49 miles that you covered what time did you start how many hours did it take you started at like eight o'clock in the morning did it we started at five in the morning at the the chronicle newsroom okay (laughs) yeah and we weren't finished till i think it was 10 or 11 at night so it was a really long day it was Um, a very full day 
<laughs> yeah, it took a lot. We were really kind of just enjoying the beginning because we what we learned was that the old route in the northern part of the city is pretty good. Like you go through Chinatown and some of the best parts of North Beach. We got a coffee at Cafe Trieste. Yes. We went along the northern shore through the marina and that part was all great and so we kept almost exactly the old route there but because it was so fun we were kind of going too slow compared to what we (laughs) needed to actually accomplish this and so we had to pick up the pace and going back to the roots of the 49 miles how did they come up with the original route in the first place in 1939 Yeah, so like you said, it was intended to get people off Treasure Island for the World's Fair in their cars, across the Bay Bridge, and into the city to spend money. It was a business group idea, and it changed a few times over the years. The the makers tweaked it a bit, but the point was to get people to tourists to spend money in their cars, but it just became kind of didn't really make sense anymore because... Like you said, parking and driving in the city is really frustrating. I wouldn't want to spend my day off driving 49 miles in San Francisco. That just sounds really unpleasant. It's hard to find parking. If you do park, there's a decent chance your windows will be broken in and something will be stolen or you'll get a ticket. And it's just, it's not that fun anymore. Plus the old route, it was strange once we looked into it that, like we said, we liked the northern part, but the southern part left a lot to be desired. It went past a lot of golf courses and cemeteries and hospitals. Um, nice. There was a whole <laughs> long stretch on Cesar Chavez, which is not the most attractive street in the world and pretty unsafe if you're walking or biking. It went along Lake Merced, which is fine, but it's not like the the most scenic part of the city. And so, and what they missed was the whole center part of the city, nothing in the Castro or the hate or the mission, hardly at all. We, we figured we could do a better job. Well, you know, it's interesting. Of course, in 1939, the Castro wasn't even called the Castro. It was called Eureka yeah, Valley. Right. The hate, the hate, of course, was not the hate Ashbury that we know. So they were middle class, blue collar residential areas. And I guess they yeah. figured, you know, gee, there's, there's not a lot to see there. Of course, that's changed dramatically. Right. Yeah. I thought that you, anybody who came to San Francisco from out of town and, and traversed 49 miles here, but never went to Castro and Market, <laughs> that's just such a such a missed opportunity. So we found a lot of ways to make it better. Well, in fact, when you think about it, the 49-mile route was long overdue for a revamp because the city has changed so much in that time. Just those two districts alone, the Castro, which didn't exist back then, the Haight-Ashbury area, which rose to fame during the 1960s, we were long overdue for a revamp, and uh, the city's changed quite a bit. So kudos to you and Peter for, for updating the the route and Thanks. and so of course in the castro the castro theater is is on the list mm-hmm. and i see the castro camera shop is also on the list yep where harvey milk worked um when he was elected supervisor that whole stretch of castro street has so many significant sites the rainbow flag and the theater and the camera shop and just so much history it's really you know a center of gay rights internationally so we figured people had to go there the old route didn't take you to Alamo Square, the Painted Ladies, that was missed. Uh, didn't take you to Mission Dolores. La Taqueria is a must in the mission, of course. Yes. And so many places that 
we love weren't on there, including some less known places that you wouldn't necessarily find in a guidebook, like the famous rock on top of Bernal Heights that is painted frequently. It, it's uh, sometimes like a ghost at Halloween. It's been a poop emoji of all things. <laughs> um, <laughs> artists are frequently um, painting it and having fun with it, depending on the time of year. And then I had never heard of Beep's Burgers, um, but Peter introduced me to that. That is a beloved old-fashioned milkshake and hamburger joint near City College and it's older than the first McDonald's in the city. So that was a must. So we just found lots of big things and little things that we thought would combine together to make a great route. Well, you know, when you talk about the history of the city and how much the history has changed and evolved over the last 80 some years since this route was first created, just coming back to the Castro, for instance, that the Rainbow Walk with David Perry and Alfredo Casuso have been so instrumental in their leadership in developing that and continuing to grow those those plaques in the ground and people come from all over the world to see them as well as the and then moving on to to the Alamo Square with the painted ladies I lived right there in Alamo Square in the mid 1970s so when Patty Hearst was being held as a captive uh, around the corner on McAllister Street (laughs) so yeah I mean I mean everybody has their their moment in time of San Francisco history which is uh, very exciting so as I said we were we were long past due for a revamp to update the history of what's going on in San Francisco. Let's talk about some of the some of the lesser known sites. For instance, mm-hmm. you talked about Red's Java House. Now, we have listeners in 60 some countries and Red's Java House is probably they're probably not going to be familiar with that. Could you give us a sense of the significance of something like Red's Java House? Why is that significant and why did you put that on your list as a one of the 37 landmarks? Well, we wanted to go up the the bay along the eastern side of the city, and so we hit up Chase Center, which is a, a huge, big new addition, although it hasn't seen much foot traffic yet because of the pandemic, but that's where the Warriors play and concerts, and then we passed by the Giants Ballpark, Oracle Park, and then after that, I don't think we set out to necessarily ensure that Red's Java House was on the route, but it was a happy coincidence that this path we wanted to take passed by Red's. It's a really beloved hamburger joint on the water. It's very industrial looking, this pier, and nobody would ever think that one of the most popular restaurants was was in this sort of (laughs) empty spot, but it's just super old school San Francisco. You cannot order. They make a point of saying it's just the meat and the bun and the condiments. You don't get lettuce and tomato and all the fancy stuff uh-huh. that other hamburger places sell. So it's on a sunny day, you should definitely stop and get a burger, a beer and sit out on the back and, and look at the bay. It's just it's a great way to pass your afternoon. Didn't Anthony Bourdain, the the food the late food critic, he at their Red's Java House and made some comment about you know this is old hard knuckle San Francisco where you can have a glass of beer for breakfast. <laughs> that sounds right. I will not dispute you. <laughs> then I noticed there's also out in the Sunset District the Riptide, which is a uh-huh. dive bar. Did you did you have an opportunity for a libation or two out there? <laughs> I want it. I still have not. I'm ashamed to admit that's a favorite spot of Peter's. So we put that on the list. And then I ha- we had big plans for having walking tours and all sorts of fun stopping at bars and other spots on the route with Chronicle readers. And then the pandemic happened and everybody had to stay inside. That has not happened yet, but we intend to get back to it and make a bigger push when we will be able to experience all of these places together, hopefully in groups of people. Another one I wanted to shout out that a lot of 
people might not know about is the sundial in Ingleside Terraces. Yes. Um, you can actually walk there from Beeps Burgers. It's not that far. And it's I'd never seen that before we started this route and someone suggested we include it. And it's it's really weird. <laughs> it's um, this circle of homes, very nondescript, pleasant, you know, middle class family homes in this circle. And then in the middle of the lawn, in the center of the circle is a huge sundial it's kind of random but it's really quirky and you know everybody knows that san francisco is a quirky city with lots of quirky places to see well wasn't that that sundial wasn't that in the there was a race course out there right yes and the sundial was like in the middle of the race course i think yeah, I think that's right. Uh, this, that was so the now story? it's just homes, but yeah. they kept the sundial. And Goodbye, then, horse, horses. Hello, sundial. And then after the 06 earthquake, a lot of refugees who were homeless as a result of the earthquake were moved out there to the race course as, oh. as temporary quarters. And they, they got rid of the horses and they essentially housed the earthquake refugees out there at the race course. And then ultimately, many of those refugees stayed out there in the Ingleside district and built homes there. And you may you may wonder why the Catholic church that's out there is called St. Emedius, odd, mm-hmm. odd name. Well, St. Emedius, believe it or not, is the patron saint of earthquakes. Oh, and wow. There's, uh, you know, there's a patron saint for everything. So there's uh, <laughs> so the, the patron saint for earthquakes was St. Emedius. And St. Demetrius Church is quite close to that sundial where the earthquake refugees were were housed. Huh, I had no idea. Yeah. You learn something new every day. Well, there's another there's another potential stuff on the route. And what about of course the the classic destinations you retained on the list, um, City Hall, Dolores, the Golden Gate Bridge. Were yeah. there did you struggle with any of the classics to keep them on or to take them off the list? We had a big dispute about Twin Peaks. We couldn't decide. We did not like being up there the day we went um, on our scouting adventure because it was so cold and foggy and wet and we couldn't see anything. And we were leaning towards removing it to give us more miles to go somewhere else. We thought about maybe Grandview Park um, with those beautiful tiled steps um, instead. But we were kind of going back and forth on that. And so we put it out to a vote on Twitter. By a narrow margin, Chronicle readers wanted to keep Twin Peaks. So we... We let the people <laughs> speak and we kept it. And then actually that was really good timing because in the pandemic to allow for people to have space to exercise while also social distancing, um, there were some changes made to certain parts of the city, including closing the streets to Twin Peaks for cars. They didn't want people driving up there and gathering in, in groups during COVID. And so they shut them and it became a really popular place to walk and bike. My family spent a lot of time going up to the top of Twin Peaks during the pandemic. So we were glad that we had kept that. And we actually had good luck with that in other ways too, because we had and we had randomly put JFK Drive and Golden Gate Park on our route. And that similarly was closed to cars during the pandemic and also the Great Highway. So it seemed like we were having some good luck with parts of our route being turned into kind of paradise for bicyclists and and walkers during the pandemic. Now, for many of our listeners, they wouldn't realize that San Francisco is a very walkable city. When they think of San Francisco, they think of steep hills, they think of Steve McQueen, they think of Bullet. And (laughs) I think, you know, for, oh oh my goodness, I couldn't possibly walk up all those hills. But it's it's a very walkable city, is it not, Heather? Yeah, I love that it just feels like a lot of small towns kind of put together. And so 
feels like lots of villages turned into one big city. But if you think if you break it down, which we don't expect anybody would ever walk all 49 miles in one day, that would be pretty insane. So we if you go to sfchronicle.com slash total SF, my colleague Peter has broken it down into lots of small chunks, some itineraries, depending on what you're in the mood for, like your first date or best places to get Instagram selfies. He's he's a funny, creative guy. So (laughs) there's lots of options. And when you think about you know, just walking two or three miles. And a lot of this is reasonably flat. We, we definitely took that into account when we were designing it. Um, it's, it's very doable between biking and walking. And then we specifically put Knob Hill where the California cable car climbs. That's on the route. We would not necessarily say everybody needs to climb up Knob Hill, but you can take the cable car. So we were thoughtful in making this pretty doable. Well, of course, as a result of COVID, for instance, me and my wife, we walk six miles every day now, quit our gym. So our exercise on a daily basis in San Francisco is walking. We do five to six miles a day. It's eminently doable. It's mostly on the west side of town, which tends to be a little bit flatter. But from time to time, uh-huh. we'll venture over the hill down into Noe Valley or down Market Street into the Castro. You know, there are there days when we're feeling a little bit more adventurous. But have you seen an uptick in terms of urban hiking in San Francisco during the COVID, and, and of course, your your route is very timely because of COVID. Yeah. People want to walk and discover. Yeah, um, that was obviously a coincidence. <laughs> we had yes. no we had no way of knowing what was ahead of us. Yes, I definitely think urban hiking has become even more popular than it was. I mean, we were confined to our homes, and the health department said you were allowed to go out on your own or with your family and do exercise. So the parks just became even more of treasures than they always were. I think, you know, Golden Gate Park was sort of our our town square during the pandemic. and But just regular streets too. I saw, I'm active on Twitter and Instagram and saw people posting about beautiful things they'd seen on their walks all the time. I did a column on a woman who who decided to climb every staircase, outdoor staircase she could find in San Francisco. Yes. And there are hundreds. I mean, she found, I think, more than 900 stairways. Some of them are famous, like the tiled steps or the steps that go up Telegraph Hill. Others are much less known. So I spent a day with her separately during the pandemic, walking up a bunch of the steps of Telegraph Hill, Russian Hill, and then we drove out to Forest Hill. And between those three hills, there are a lot of staircases. And we just, I just tackled a, a sliver of those with her, but she's actually done all of them in the city that she can find. So things like that, people came up with kind of weird ideas to pass the time and, and try to make them feel make themselves feel more positive and uplifted and get mm-hmm. fresh air so I heard about people trying to walk every street or or walk every neighborhood people were walking all the slow streets where the city shut them to through traffic uh, Lake Street and Page Street were especially popular for that so I think that really became a silver lining of the pandemic you know before we came on the air we were talking about some of the great tourist destinations in San Francisco. And one of them, of course, is Alcatraz. For all of my relatives who come to visit us in San Francisco, they seem to build their trip to San Francisco around a visit to Alcatraz. We have never been to Alcatraz. And I, I, every time I have a visitor from out of town who's made this, this pilgrimage to Alcatraz, I, I, I quiz them. I say, you know, what is it? Why? why? And it's, it seems that whether they're coming from Europe or Latin America or any elsewhere in the United States, they've all got to visit Alcatraz, but locals just don't go there. Right. Um, I've been there a handful of times, most recently with my son, maybe, 
I want to say four or five years ago, but I don't, it's not like a, <laughs> a regular thing. One way, a fun way to do it is to take the night tour where you're um, taking the boat to Alcatraz kind of at sunset time. And uh-huh. then by the time you explore the cells, it's dark and it's kind of spooky. That puts a fun twist on it. I definitely think you should go. Okay. My colleague Peter has never been either. And I've been bugging him about that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's a thing you should just dismiss. It is full of history and it's beautiful views. So I would go once and see what you think. Well, I'll definitely, I'll, I'll take you up on that and probably do the night tour. Well, Heather, in the remaining few minutes left in our podcast, are there any other thoughts that you have for our listeners as regards some of the also ran landmarks who didn't quite make it to the 37 list, but nonetheless would be worth a, worth a, an honorable shout out or a visit when they do come to San Francisco? So like I said, we kept all the old school stuff in the northern part of the city, but we tweaked it once we got to the Presidio. We made sure that the Yoda statue is on the list and that's just a fun weird place to go and definitely selfie worthy. Um, the Walt Disney Museum is worth a visit and we we had never known before we did this of a point on the northern part of the Presidio called the Golden Gate Overlook, I think it is, um, but where you can, you, you're between trees and you can get one tower of the Golden Gate Bridge framed in the other tower. And it's just the most beautiful oh. position, especially for photos. So that's on our route. And then we're big fans of the city's old movie houses. So not only is the Castro Theater on there, but the Balboa Theater is on there. That's just a real charming neighborhood out in the outer Richmond with some good restaurants. Hockey Haven is a great dive bar. And the Balboa has been around for um, nearly a hundred years. And they've collected a lot of the old discards from Playland at the beach. So they have a lot of the fun, quirky items that used to be there displayed in their lobby. Uh Peter and I often show movies that were filmed in San Francisco at the Balboa. And we've done Bullet, So I Married an Axe Murderer, The Rock, Sister Act. We're having our our welcome back after the pandemic is probably this will be passed by the time this airs, but it is tomorrow. We're going to show San Andreas with um, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. So we do lots of fun stuff with them. That's exciting. Well, Heather, Heather, could you share with our listeners how they can how they can follow you at the Chronicle? So I'm sure we have many listeners who love San Francisco and, of course, would be inspired to follow your your column on a regular basis. What's uh, how do they stay in touch with you? Sure. So to see what we've been talking about, the whole route and the little itineraries and all the information you could ever want to know about our new 49-mile scenic route can be found at sfchronicle.com slash totalsf. And to contact me specifically, I try to respond to on my email. It's easier said than done some days, but I can be reached at hnight at sfchronicle.com or you can follow me on Twitter at hnightsf or on Instagram at Heather Knight SF and to follow the total SF hashtag, which Peter and I started to celebrate the weird and whimsical side of San Francisco on Twitter. It's hashtag total SF that a lot of people in the city have latched onto as well. So lots of times when people are posting about weird stuff they saw or pretty pictures or quirky characters, they'll use the hashtag total SF and, and you can follow that as well. Well, Heather, I want to thank you very much for being our guest today and sharing with us your inspired creation of this expanded, up-to-date new route around San Francisco, and especially thankful that you've shared with our listeners ways for them to stay in contact with you because people listen to the San Francisco experience because they do have an interest in San Francisco, and 
hopefully they will be able to continue that interest by following your columns and the stories that you write. Great. Well, I would love to have them on board as readers and happy to respond in any of the ways that I mentioned. So looking forward to it. Thank you very much, Heather. And for my listeners, please take a moment to visit our website, www.thesanfranciscoexperiencepodcast.com to subscribe. It's free to do so. And by subscribing, you can listen to the past 170 episodes. You can read my book. You can send me an email or make a comment. This has been the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy, reporting to you from America's favorite city. And listeners, here's a postscript, and Heather has a closing thought for you. I should have mentioned, um, Peter would be very mad at me if I forgot, (laughs) that we host a podcast called Total SF. So that's out every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. And we interview the best people in San Francisco, the quirkiest characters. And we have a lot of fun with them, including the famous lightning round, where we ask everybody at the end where they got, where they get their favorite burrito, where's their favorite (laughs) stiff drink in San Francisco, and what is their favorite movie filmed in San Francisco. So we often stump our guests, but you should definitely listen for that every Friday. Well, you heard it there, listeners. Please listen in to Total San Francisco. Once again, Heather, thank you very much for being with us. And again, this is Jim Hurley. signing off for the San Francisco Experience coming from San Francisco. (music) 